Uh, it's great to be here today with you, and uh, I'm just going to kick us off with a word of prayer before we get into the sermon. Join me. Uh, Lord, we just come together in this place um, to hear from you, um, to reflect your love to one another, um, to be filled with your spirit and sent out into the places that you have sent us to be your um, ambassadors, your people, your the, the mirrors that reflect your love to those around us. Be with us this morning as we um, read about um, these three important meals um, that trace together the entire Bible and to be with us together as we share this meal of communion later today, Lord. We know that you're present with us. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, I don't know about you guys, but I had to go to Target on November 1st. November 1st, and they had turned it over from Halloween to Christmas overnight, and it, it made me think, let's find out what kinds of people we have in our church, so we're going to do a little poll, all right. When does Christmas begin? Raise your hand if it's the day after Halloween. Okay, a couple, okay, we got a handful, handful. Uh, my daughter's birthday is November 1st, and her request was, can I put up the tree in some indoor decorations? So in our house, yeah, Mariah Carey has sung, and it's time. Um, all right, who thinks it's the day after Thanksgiving? That's when it starts. Okay, who thinks it's December 1st and that point on? Who doesn't like Christmas and you're a Scrooge? All right, all right. It's fine. We, it's all... we. It takes all kinds. We're in this together. Uh, <laughs> all right. Too, too often we can skip Thanksgiving, and uh, if for nothing else, the food is so good. But that brings up some controversial. I want to see our hot takes on Thanksgiving food. Who actually likes turkey? Okay. Who wishes there was any other tradition, any other type of main staple at Thanksgiving? That's me. Turkey's fine, but there's a reason we only eat it once a year. We eat a lot of other stuff all the time. Um, next year, surf and turf. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> all right. Pumpkin pie or pecan pie? Raise your hand if it's pumpkin pie for you. Raise your hand if it's pecan. Or if you're from where I'm from, pecan. Um, <laughs> raise your hand if it's some other pie. All right. Ooh. All right. Okay, this is my favorite one. Cranberry sauce. <laughs> Who likes the stuff out of the can? Like, it's just, you know it's not good, you know it's not real, but you love it. I'm, I love it. I love it. It's terrible. I love it. All right, who likes fresh cranberry sauce made with real cranberries? Who wants to throw all of it directly in the trash? Okay, so it's, <laughs> that was the fastest I saw hands shoot up. That is the strongest take. I saw somebody like, ah! Throw it in the garbage. All right. Um... Whoa. This is the one last thing, all right? Who likes food with marshmallows in it? On the left, you have ambrosia salad. Who likes that? No. I'm not going to lie. If you brought that to my house, I would, I'd probably ask you to leave. I'd be like, I'm sorry. The police are on their way. This is a crime against humanity. All right, who likes sweet potato pie with mush? I said mushrooms. Marshmallows on it. And who likes sweet potato pie, but you want it without the, the marshmallows? Man, you guys like mallows? I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. Thank you for indulging me on that. I just wanted to know where I stood 
in the controversies of all of these things. Christmas has come early to our house. Our tree is up. Uh, and it got me thinking, as it always does, because this is the time of year where you watch movies that you really don't watch the rest of the year. And uh, I, I mentioned this last year, and I, print, uh, I preached a similar uh, sermon, a totally different topic, but I used this device last year. Who knows this movie, The Muppet Christmas Carol? It is the greatest telling of The Christmas Carol. Better than Dickens' original writing, it is the greatest telling of this. It, I literally, just by seeing that, I have the song, Marley and Marley. Anybody? All right, just me. Cool. Anyway, I love the Christmas Carol in general, and I love this one because it tells a story about past, present, and future. And today, we're going to be talking about meals past, present, and future, what they all have to do with each other and what they all have to do with the meal that we share today. Uh, today we're talking about the meal of all meals or the Lord's Supper or communion or the Last Supper, right? And um, we're going to start, though, not with the meal that Jesus shares with his disciples. We're going to start by where did that original meal come from? The original meal that Jesus uses at the Last Supper to help them understand what God is up to in the world. And it's the meal of Passover. And so we're going to look at past, the meal in the past. What did it mean and what does it mean for us now? Passover. So if you don't know this story, um, I'm going to just briefly retell it for you. Uh, at a certain point, the, uh, the, the children of Abraham, the children of, of Jacob, uh, they end up in Egypt. Um, they're led there uh, in a, on a rescue mission. Joseph is there. Uh, he's he's uh, Jacob's, one of Jacob's 12 sons. He ends up in Egypt and becomes actually a pretty powerful guy uh, after going through this crazy story himself. And there's a famine in the land that God had given to his people, the Hebrew people or the, or the Israelites. And they come to Joseph, and uh, you can read that story. That's a great story. And now all God's people are in the land of Egypt, and they're under the oppressive rule of the Egyptians. Over time, the Egyptians uh, start to see them as a threat because they grow so big in number, and they don't want to deal with any problems. They don't want to have an uprising. They don't want to lose their power, so they enslave the people of Israel. Um, and, and early in the story, Pharaoh is so afraid of an uprising that he orders that all baby boys under the age of one be thrown into the river because they, he doesn't want them to grow up to be soldiers who can take his power from him. It's a brutal thing that the Israelite people are living under this slavery. And so God calls Moses uh, to speak on his behalf. He tells, he tells Moses, go to Pharaoh and, and tell him that God says, let my people go. But Pharaoh refused, and, and God sends these plagues of judgment uh, on the Egyptians. And Pharaoh, he doesn't care. He hardens his heart. He, no, I'm not going to let them go. Eventually, God orders Moses to tell each family to slaughter a lamb and use its blood to mark the door of their house. And that's what you see in the image. This will be a sign uh, to the Lord that they are his people and that they will be passed over the coming judgment. That's where the Passover word comes from. That judgment was a reversal of what Pharaoh had once done to the people of Israel as that night, the firstborn of every household died, except those whom judgment passes over. And so they did this, and they were also instructed to eat the lamb, every bit of it, and they were to eat unleavened bread. 
And then they were commanded to remember this feast, to celebrate this feast every year. And to this day, Jews and Christians all over the world celebrate Passover. So after this, Pharaoh lets the people go. They're free. He changes his mind because he's kind of a jerk. Uh, It's an understatement of the century. Uh, he, He pursues them on chariots with armies. And again, God rescues them by parting the Red Sea that they can escape. And then once they have, he brings the the waters over Pharaoh's pursuing army. God's people were free. So just like the people of Israel, God immediately tells them, celebrate this every year. This thing that I'm doing amongst you right now, celebrate it every year. Do not forget this is a lot of what I talked about um, during our 50th anniversary celebration a couple of weeks ago. We are called to remember. We're called to remember the past and what God has done for us. One, because we don't want to forget what God has done for us, and, and, and that's the whole story of the Bible. We rebel against God. We run away from him. We, because of that, we find ourselves outside of his protection, and we get into trouble. We cry out to him, rescue us, Lord. He does. We celebrate After some time, we forget. We rebel. We run away. We cry for rescue. It's the story of the Bible. You might also be going, hey, that's the story of my life. Like, that feels familiar to us. It's the human condition that we all experience. Over and over, God tells us to remember. Remember how he rescues us. Remember who the rescuer is. Stay faithful to him. We're also called to remember him so that we can trust him in our current circumstances or our future challenges. And the Passover is a very important meal because it helps us remember what God did for his people. And it's one of many examples throughout the Bible where we were called to remember and to feast and to celebrate so that we don't forget. The Passover was this miraculous intervention. God intervenes. He shows up for his people. And it's, it's a story of a sacrifice for a very specific time and place. We recognize that the Bible and not even the story of Israel ends with the book of Exodus. Sometimes, like I'm doing today, theologians like to talk about the Bible in terms of past, present, future. The past is the time before Jesus came. And it tells us how did God relate to his people during those times. And the Passover is one of the biggest stories, most important stories for understanding how God relates with people, how he steps into history on our behalf in the past. The present is the age of time starting with Jesus' incarnation, which is a nerdy theology word to say when Jesus became human, when he took on flesh, when he was born a human that first Christmas. From that time until now, this is the present age that we're in, right? And then there's the future, which we'll talk about later, or the age to come, but that was the past, and that was a really important thing, but then Jesus does more with it. He does more than he expands our understanding. He extends it to deeper areas of our lives. So how do we in the present age relate to the Passover? And what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, we're on the other side. We're, we're on the present age. We're on the other side of Jesus' life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And, and theologians like to call this the already but not yet which is a fun contradiction, but it's, it's helpful for us to understand. God did the most decisive act in history through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven of Jesus Christ. He began a work that is still ongoing, and it is as good as finished. It is, it is, it is as good as, as any promise 
that we sang about before. That it's as good as yes, it's answered. God has done it. And yet, it's not totally complete. There's something else to come. And that's where we live. We live in this tension of Jesus has defeated sin and death. And yet, we still experience sin and death. And what do we do in the meantime? Well, and this is what he gave us when he gave us this meal. This is Jesus uh, as he sits down to celebrate the Passover with his friends, this is how he reinterprets it for us in this present age. Something new is happening. This is from Luke uh, 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where uh, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a very large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. And, And they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured poured out for you. And so you see the obvious connection to the Passover, the blood of the Lamb, so that the people of Israel will be passed over from the judgment of God. And you see the bread that they would be eating there, and he's reinterpreting to say, it's my body, and it's going to be broken. Do this in remembrance of me. Whether you call it the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, whatever you call it, this has been an extremely important part of the life of the church since that night, since that Passover, that, that last meal that Jesus had with his friends. It is an absolutely crucial part of our Christian faith. And and here at FCC, this and baptism are are like most primary sacraments. These things where we we definitely want to practice together the presence of God. Um, And and so it's really important. And that's why I think it deserves a whole sermon so that when we take communion, we're reminded of what we're doing. But... This, this, this has been a famous meal. It's been an important meal. It's been such a crucial part of history. It's been inspiration for some of the most amazing art and also for this meme. Jesus asks, table for 26, please. Host says, but there are only 13 of you. Jesus says, yes, but we're all going to sit on one side. <laughs> like, did Da Vinci really think this is what it was like? I love it. I love it. It's still a beautiful piece of artwork because it reminds us he was real. He was present. He shared this meal just as tangibly as we're sharing this meal together today. 
The, the reason this is a better Passover than the original one from the book of Exodus is because that was for a specific time and place where God intervened. Jesus is saying, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to allow my body to be broken and allow my blood to be shed. Not for a one-time thing, but for once and for all. It's not limited to a time and a place. I'm, I'm passing over the sins of the people. Once and for all. I'm doing this so that God can be reconciled to his people. You know, we did a series here not uh, sometime in the last couple of years. I'm not good with calendars. Um, we did a series here where we talked about what is the Bible, and the Bible is the story of God's mission in this world. It's a story about what God is up to, and we see all this brokenness around us. We see all this devastation because of our selfishness and, and the things that we do to each other and just how messed up the world is. The Bible is a story about how God is healing, reconciling everything to himself. That's the point of the whole story. And Jesus takes this Passover, this limited thing, and he turns it into this unlimited thing that whoever wants my salvation, whoever wants reconciliation with God can have it, and I'm willing to give my body. I'm willing to shed my blood if that's what it takes. Another thing that is really cool about this is, um, this is something new that I hadn't grasped before, but Justo Gonzalez uh, is a, uh, a Bible scholar who wrote an amazing commentary on the book of Luke. And, and he says, one of the things that sticks out to him about Luke's telling of this is it, it, it's about God sharing his work with us once again. We talked about this last week, that God shares his work with us. He's not just doing mission to us. He's inviting us to participate in the reconciliation and the healing work. He says this about this passage, and I don't have a slide for this, so sorry, you just have to listen to my voice. He talks about baptism and, and communion as, as two really important things, but with a different emphasis. He says, thus, if the baptismal water points us to the unmerited grace of God, the bread and wine in communion point to the stewardship whereby God invited humans to share in God's work through our labor. God gives wheat and grapes. Human labor turns them into bread and wine. The people of God offer their gifts to God. We bring our gifts, but we are not the hosts. It's as much as when we're invited to dinner, we bring our hosts a bottle of wine or a box of cookies. The table is still theirs. It is not our gifts that nourish us, but the meal that our hosts have prepared. We are responding to our hosts' hospitality which a, with a much lesser sign of hospitality. Even if when sitting at their table, we consume the wine or the cookies that we brought, they are still the hosts. And we are the guests who, in bringing a gift, have offered a sign that if we wish to partake of their hospitality, not only by partaking of the meal, but by also being hospitable, as they are. In the Eucharist, or another way to say the elements, the bread and the wine, the people bring their gifts to the table, but the meal is much more than what they brought. When the celebrant says the gifts of God for the people of God, we are being invited to share not only in what we offered, but also in what God is offering. That's a perspective I hadn't heard before. And I think it matters in really practical words, not just because of what happens here, but because of how that actually makes its way outside of the walls of the church. This is what we do when we do communion. We practice here, receiving and sharing hospitality with God and with one another. And then we do the same around other tables. Before the church became overly institutionalized, um, you know, some 400-ish years, give or take, uh, after Jesus was born, 
this meal would have primarily been shared in homes and actually shared a meal where they would pause to give thanks and remember what Jesus had done. It wasn't until later when all of a sudden it was the, 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 the Roman Empire said, okay, Christianity is the official religion, and all of a sudden millions of people become Christian because they don't want to be out of step with the powerful Roman Empire. And then they got, well, what are we going to do with all these people? Well, we've got to put this order and this hierarchy together. And all of a sudden, only one guy's allowed to give the communion in the, in the building. And he's got sweet robes and a cool hat. Um, and it becomes this thing where it used to be around a table. And now it's this ceremony that, that almost seems like, hey, here's this magical thing we do. And if we do it, God will love us instead of, hey, here's this thing that we share together. And we constantly need to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's doing. The beautiful thing about that is this meal is just a practice, right? When we do this, we're practicing God's presence here. We're practicing hospitality with one another. We're looking each other in the eyes. And I know all the people are facing this way, but we do. When we do community, we do communion. We look each other in the eyes and say, we're in this together. His body was broken for you and for me, and his blood was shed for you and for me. It's a beautiful thing. But it doesn't get stuck in the walls of the church. We talk about bless rhythms around here a lot, and that's just an acronym. The E in bless is eat. I mean, you get to eat for Jesus. Come on. Should have been more amens to that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so hungry right now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> this is where we extend the presence of God in our community, sharing meals and co coffee and, and, and whatever with our neighbors. We talked about doing it at Halloween is the simplest thing of giving out king-sized candy bars as an extension of hospitality and love for our neighbors. We can be intentional about our meals in a way that extends the love of God out of our church walls and into the lives of others. And we need to rethink our patterns. How do we become intentional about our meals? Who do we sit with at lunch at school? Who do we invite to share a meal or coffee? What in invitations are we accepting? There's one other element to this that I, uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't ever really pick up in, in, in this clear of a way, but Justo Gonzalez talks about this, that when, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not simply talking about doing this, breaking the bread in remembrance of him. He's saying, this is my body. It's a symbol of my sacrificial love. Do this in remembrance of me. This is how communion makes its way from this table out into our, our lives. We become a people of sacrificial love. We do this. We do what Jesus did. We extend the presence of God beyond this table to the tables that we're at all week long by extending his sacrificial love to the people he's placed in our lives and who come on our path this week. Even if we have the perfect doctrinal beliefs, because communion has been one of the most controversial issues for the church over the years. Who gets to serve communion? What's actually happening? Does the bread turn into Jesus' actual body? Like, this is what most church splits have been in, in history of the church, have been over communion. And in the process, we actually missed the point that it wasn't about that anyway. But even if you have the perfect doctrinal beliefs and practices and you do it just like the blueprint you think says, but you don't live your life in a way that demonstrates love for God and love for others, then this meal means nothing. 
In the present, we remember the past and we celebrate, just like Passover, just like Jesus instructed to do. We remember and we celebrate. And this should be a catalyst for Jesus' instructions to do this. Live for others like Jesus. We love others sacrificially like Jesus. We even love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us like Jesus. That's what we are reminded of when we take this meal. When we take this meal and then we live it out, we're demonstrating that we believe that he meant what he said and his invitation to the communion table is an invitation to receive grace and mercy all over again. But it's also an invitation to go do likewise, offer hospitality, freely give away grace and mercy, carry with us an invitation to our table and to Jesus' table. And that gets us to the future. We talked past, Passover. We talked about the present age we're in and this meal that Jesus shares with us. And now, what does the future hold? Huso Gonzalez talks about the Passover was a, a, a point of hope. It wasn't just about remembering the past. At the time of Jesus, when they were celebrating this Passover, they were once again um, under the occupying world power of the day. It was Egypt at one point, now it's the Roman Empire. And here they are in their own land, but totally dominated by this world power. When they took the Passover, they, they would usually end with a prayer. God, free us from this empire. Free us. Set us free. That, that was their prayer. It was a prayer of hope. Look to the past knowing that God has a future hope in store. And, and, and communion was always, always with an eye on the future. The words of institution that we say here each time and we're going to do together later come in 1 Corinthians. 11, uh, chapter 11, 23 through 26. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That last line, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. The Bible later closes with a book that talks about uh, partially, not completely, but partially talks about what's to come in the future. The hope that we wait for. Jesus is going to return and, and he's going to renew heaven and earth and they're going to collide and God will be present with his people. And we're going to study the book of Revelation in 2024. Um, and, and one of the reasons I think it's important to study it is because it's a very misunderstood book in many ways. There's lots of speculation. There's lots of guessing of like, oh, this means that. And this is going to happen when this. And, and there's lots of honestly fear. I remember when I first became a Christian, I read some books about like, you know, fictionalized books about the end times. And I'm like, gosh, this is terrifying, you know? And, and, and a lot of people, instead of reading the book of Revelation as a book of hope, which it is, they read it in fear, terrified. There's lots of sloppy theology done about the end times, and so I do want to address that. We're going to talk about that next year. I don't want to get into all that today, um, uh, but we will eventually study uh, the eschatology, which is a Bible nerdy way of saying this is the end of the world as we know it. 
thank you, and I feel fine, thank you, I'm old. Uh, what happens when Jesus, it's, it's about what happens when Jesus returns. So what, what can we take away from this today without digging too deep in the book of Revelation? What can we take uh, away from it? Well, what we get in the culmination of the book of Revelation, and in Jesus' own words himself, the picture of the future is a wedding banquet where Jesus is eternally present in perfect, holy union with his church, with us for all of eternity, and we're celebrating around a table, a feast, a meal. We're going to, later in the series, we're going to talk about the parable of the wedding banquet that Jesus talks about, but we will feast around God's table, we'll be in his presence, and I love the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible talks about what happens at the end. Around this table in the presence of God, the, the Jesus Storybook Bible says, all sad things become untrue. That's a beautiful picture of what's to come. Revelation 21 says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more mourning or pain or death. All things sad become untrue at that great wedding feast. The stories from the Passover, the Lord's Supper, and the great wedding banquet to come when Jesus returns, they're actually not separate stories. They're an unfolding of one great story where we get a bigger glimpse of God's reconciliation work. And this mission that he has to reconcile all that is broken in the world to himself, this work of healing, this work of making all sad things come untrue. In the past, God has passed over his people for judgment. He, he, in Israel, he, he reconciles a particular people to himself. He chooses them, not because they're superior, but because he has a mission for them. His mission to reconcile, he invites them to share that mission. They are joining him in the healing, reconciling work. And then Jesus tells us in the Last Supper narrative that he has come to complete the work of Israel once and for all. To recon God once reconciled Israel to himself through the Passover, an important but one-time act of salvation. And Jesus extends this act of salvation once and for all. Anyone who wants it can have it. Because Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became the perfect Passover lamb. It is finished. Now, we can get into, you know, the violence of the, the Passover text and all that stuff. It trips some people up all the time. But here's, here's what I want us to close with today. Jesus shows us God's true heart in this. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is. And in his most defining act in all of history, it's not God who is doling out violent justice. It's God in the flesh receiving violence and taking death on himself. And we all know the good news that death couldn't defeat him. He rose again on the third day, and he now rules from heaven. And now we wait, but we don't wait in hiding. We join God's mission to reconcile all things to himself. We don't hide in our churches, in our holy huddles. We open ourselves up. We open our tables up. That those of us who were once lost and have been found can invite others to let Jesus find them. And we do it by knowing the future. Jesus is coming back and the reconciliation work will be fully completed at that great wedding feast to come. So today, as we take communion, we look back at what Jesus has done, his body broken and his blood shed. We live in the presence giving thanks for how Jesus has healed and is healing us. And we join him 
We take that out into our community, wherever he has called us, to bring that healing presence of Jesus to others. And we look to that future. We look on and hope to that future where, we, where the work will be complete, where sorrow is permanently traded in for joy, where suffering will be permanently traded in for thriving life, and death will be a distant reality of the past, traded in for true and eternal life. That's what we celebrate today here, past, present, and future. I'm gonna invite the, the band back up. Ty, Ty's gonna give some instructions about what we're gonna do, but I just wanna close us in prayer as we worship at the time of song and communion. Lord, thank you for this day, this day to remember. Lord, over and over again, you call us to remember. Don't forget, don't forget. You, you told the Israelites, don't forget how I rescued you from Egypt, how I brought you up out of slavery, set you free. You tell us, do this in remembrance of me. God, may not only we do this in remembrance of you here in this place today, may we go out wherever it is you send us and love the way that you do in remembrance of you, reflecting the self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be a community, a church that's, that's known not for having services that, that we like or not for having this program that we like or that program, but let us be known as a people who reflect the love of Jesus. A people that come here and take this meal and then we go, go and live it out. And Lord, we look to our future hope because even in this already but not yet, we... We have this hope and we have our victories, but there's still the echoes of the past. There's still the old way. Sin and death are still wreaking havoc in this world. And so we long for the day, Jesus, where all sad things become untrue, where you wipe away every tear from our eyes. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. As we share this meal together today, we, we commit to live for you in remembrance of what you've done for us. We commit to live for each other just like you lived for us. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.